So that's next door. That's our, uh, the ministry center that you, the Church of Force, you invest your time and your resources in supporting and the work we do in Aldershot. And over the next five weeks, we're going to invite uh, you to come learn about our mission, the mission of Force You Church uh, and the places where we uh, support and engage in. In particular today, of course, we're focusing on next door. And over the coming four weeks, we're going to highlight the four uh, uh, global mission partners uh, that, that we are a part of, that we support. But we can't all get to Ecuador. We can't all get to Malawi. We can't all get to Thailand or Pakistan. But we can all get down to next door. And so today, for our Force You Community Lunch, we're going to invite you down for lunch at next door. We know it's not as convenient as just going to the warehouse, uh, but we hope you'll come. And we're going to finish early today uh, to help make that possible for you. So we do hope that you'll join us for lunch uh, after church today so that we can engage together and see the work uh, firsthand that God is doing. I also want to just acknowledge Fort for doing that great video for us. That's going to be a wonderful tool uh, for us to tell the story of next door uh, to many people and places in the, in the coming weeks and months. So why are we focusing so much uh, over the coming weeks on being uh, on mission and being sent people? And why now? Well, it's simply this. We are post-resurrection. We are post-Easter. And as people who, are, uh, who believe in the resurrection of Christ, who, who give our lives to the resurrection of Christ, we uh, recognize that we are a sent people and that we are sent to tell that story, to tell that story of resurrection. There are many uh, stories, and some of them I think we're going to touch on over the next few weeks in our sermons, of the ways that Jesus presented himself to the disciples uh, post-resurrection. And I'm just going to touch on one of them just briefly. One of them is in John chapter 20. Jesus enters into the room of the, uh, the night after his resurrection. The apostles are cloistered together in a room for fear of the Jews, and Jesus comes to them and says this. He says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Peace be with you sounds nice, doesn't it? This is shalom. Jesus is inviting the disciples to experience in that moment what we all will experience fully when God's kingdom is fully inaugurated. Abundance, justice, safety, well-being, and peace. And then he also says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is the commission. This is the commission to call people to repentance, to care for creation, to seek the renewal of broken systems where the vulnerable are tramped upon. This is why we are sent. Because of the resurrection, we have a future hope and a present calling, a present sentness to be on mission, to tell the story of the resurrection. But being a sent people is not an easy task. Jesus' words, peace, are comfortable for us. This idea that we're gonna, we can experience shalom and that our future hope is that we will fully experience the peace of Christ. But the words, so I send you, can make us a little bit uncomfortable. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. And we know enough about the, what that was like for Jesus. As the story of the Father sending Jesus is fresh in our minds, Yes, there was a resurrection, but we know that there was also a death. It was preceded by a death. Two Sundays ago on Palm Sunday, Mike provocatively reminded us or said to us that if we wanted to avoid crucifixion, simply don't do the things that Jesus did. 
Don't do the things that Jesus was doing. Don't live the way that he called us to live. And in speaking about the uncomfortable task of following Jesus, Barbara Brown Taylor says, I will be the first to admit that I want to stop about a day short of following him all the way. How many of us say that too? Are we willing to say, admit that we would like to stop just a day short of following Jesus all the way? Ruth Haley Barton, in commenting on that quote from, uh, from Barbara Brown Taylor, says, don't we all? Don't we all just feel like that sometimes? It's like, if we could just stop a day short. And yet our heritage, our Christian heritage, is rich with people who did not stop a day short, who went all the way, who followed Christ even to death. A few weeks ago in the winter, Elizabeth attended a spiritual retreat led by uh, Steve Bell, probably familiar to many of you, a Canadian uh, faith-based singer-songwriter, uh, was leading the spiritual retreat and then the retreat in Dundas. He was talking about the importance of us as Christians getting to know the saints. The saints, he says, are people who we should consider as being aunts and uncles in our faith. Your wallet, your keys, your phone, a couple of ancient prayers, a couple of psalms, and a couple of saints. These are the things that Steve Bell was saying you should leave home. You should not leave home without every day. A couple of saints. Have them in your pocket when you go. The church gives us the saints uh, to inspire us, to encourage us, to motivate us, and to challenge us in our life as sent people. Now, as evangelical Protestants, we're not that familiar with the saints, but we are very inspired by the words of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, um, following chapter 11, uh, where we are reminded about the, about the many of the, the, the great giants uh, within the, of the Christian faith within Scripture, uh, the writer says, uh, gives this image of, of these great giants as being like a cloud of witnesses looking down on us. And the image, uh, I think probably, that's, as you've heard that passage preached, has been that you're almost like you're the track athlete. You're not running the 100 meters, you're probably running the 10,000 meters and you got this cloud of witnesses up in the grandstand looking down on you, cheering you on as you run and run and run, praying for you, seeking that you would persevere in your work, that you would be free from the constraints of sin, and that you would um, persevere in the way that Christ persevered as sent people. So we're quite inspired by this image. We may not know the saints very well, but we love this image of the cloud of witnesses looking down on us, cheering us on. And as Protestants, we're very familiar with the martyrs. We uh, famous in our heritage is Fox's Book of Martyrs, written about 500 years ago, telling the stories of martyrs who actually died at the hands of, a, of the Catholic Church, uh, oppressed um, during that time of dispute and uh, post-Reformation, everything. But we, uh, we recognize that uh, we have people important to us who died for their faith. And we understand martyrdom now. Last week, Easter Sunday, dozens and dozens of people died at church because they were Christians, because they wanted to go and worship on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka. So martyrs are very fresh on our minds even now, a week after that tragedy. 
I mentioned that we're going to support and, and uh, highlight many of our mission partners. One of our mission partners is the Voice of the Martyrs. And we think it's important to be a partner with Voice of the Martyrs because we need to not only be supporting them financially and sending our resources to the work of Voice of the Martyrs who are supporting persecuted Christians around the world, but we need to know the stories of people. And we need to be engaged with them and understand them and be motivated and encouraged and challenged by the testimony of their lives, people who are living in the persecuted parts of the world and who are experiencing uh, not only some cases, all cases persecution, but in some cases martyrdom. The martyrs are among the first saints. I mentioned earlier the saints of the church. Well, the martyrs are among the first saints. Polycarp, one of the first saints of the church, Polycarp, uh, was martyred at the stake, burned at the stake. He lived uh, kind of the next generation after the apostles. A tradition tells us that he was discipled by the apostle John, uh, went to be a, um, a bishop in the area around Turkey, and was eventually near the, near in, I was going to say near the end of his life. Well, at the very end of his life, he was martyred. But in his 80s, he... Um, he was martyred, burned at the stake for his Christian faith, for, for being a, a, a testifying Christian, a follower of Christ. And the scripture tells us about the very first martyr. The very first martyr is a man named Stephen. And that's the story we're going to land on today in Acts chapter 6. The book of Acts tells us in Acts chapter 6 about, introduces us to this guy named Stephen. And we learn about Stephen because uh, as the church, now the, the church at that time, it's quite different maybe than the, uh, than the Western North American church. The Western North American church sometimes does good on its internal stuff, looking after each other and its structures and its systems and caring for one another, but sometimes struggles with the external work of mission. And that's why probably why we're spending some time reminding us about our mission. But the uh, church in the early days, the early church, as it was just forming after the resurrection of Christ, was on mission the apostles were doing signs and wonders. People were being added by the hundreds and hundreds to the church. And it was growing and growing, but there was some internal conflict going on. And it's almost like the apostles had a blind spot and they didn't see this and they didn't pay attention to it until it had to be brought to their attention. And that internal conflict had to do with an ethnic conflict between the, um, the, uh, the Hebrew Jews who were, who were part of the church, and the Greek-speaking Jews who were part of the church. In particular, it had to do with the treatment of the widows. Um, Christian tradition and Christian teaching is that, uh, especially from the Old Testament teaching, is that you care for those who are most vulnerable among you. And this includes the most vulnerable being the widows in the, in the community. And so the church was concerned, in particular the Greek-speaking Jews within the church were concerned that their widows were not getting the same equitable and fair treatment and distribution of resources as the, uh, as the Hebrew widows within the community. They weren't getting the same food, they weren't getting the same clothing, they weren't getting the same uh, money distribution. It wasn't fair, it wasn't equitable. And so they brought this concern to the apostles. Now the apostles, realizing what their calling was, their calling was to do this work, this, to do this external work, said we can't divert ourselves away from this work, but we're going to give it back to you as the leaders within the Hebrew, um, among the Hebrew, uh, sorry, among the, the Greek Jews. We want you to identify seven people, seven people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, seven people who are wise among you, 
and let them deal with this matter. And we'll pray and lay our hands on them and we'll commission them to that work. But we want you to identify people who can, who can deal with this matter because it's important. It needs to be dealt with. And so they did that. And so the scripture tells us, the story tells us that there are seven men who are appointed, gives us the list of the names. And all we know is that it seemingly got dealt with. There's no real description of how it went about or how it was dealt with, just that these men were appointed, the work happened, and the mission of the church carried on. Actually, all we know about the outcome of this is that more and more disciples were added to the church. So it's like, as the church got its house in order, got its internal stuff dealt with, the, uh, the, the testimony of the church was not compromised, it was not hurt or harmed. In fact, more people were added to the church as, as a result of this. So while the, the, uh, the, the, the narrative here that Luke writes and acts doesn't tell us a lot about kind of the details of how this was handled, we know that it was handled and that it seemed to be handled well. What we do know is that among the list of the deacons, the primary one of those deacons was, was Stephen. And we learn a lot about Stephen in the verses preceding. So we're introduced to Stephen in Acts chapter 6. And I just want to read for you uh, verses 8 down to 15. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So Stephen was ministering. He was ministering in ways similar to the, to the apostles, performing signs and wonders. And opposition came to him. Opposition came to him from among the, uh, the Greek converts to Judaism. So we have this group of Jewish people uh, following the laws of Judaism. They were Greek converts to Judaism, and they were opposing uh, Stephen and his ministry. And they brought false charges against Stephen, in fact, and they are accusing him of blasphemy. And so chapter 7, if you were to carry on, and if we were to read it, which we're not, um, in chapter 7, Stephen gives us very provocative speech. And what he does is in facing the court, Stephen works through the history of Israel to show them why they are in need of God's fresh work. There's a fresh work going on. There's a fresh wind as the Spirit has come upon and landed upon the church. And Stephen wants to t point that out to them, wants to point out to them their need to understand that, their need to, to know Christ, the, the resurrected Christ. This is an evangelistic speech. This is Stephen calling the people to see what is going on, to understand what is going on. His embrace of Christianity and the resurrection lead him to be critical of the Jews uh, in their effort to contain God within the temple and their rejection of the prophets. But in doing so, he raises their ire. The, uh, those people who are in opposition to Stephen never let him get to the, 
to the end. They never let him get to the, to the, to the climax of the story, which is about the resurrected Jesus. In fact, they are so upset that they form an angry mob, they drag him out of the city, and they murder him. And that's the death of Stephen. That's the story, in short, of our first martyr of the church, Stephen, who did not stop a day short of following Jesus all the way. He didn't stop his speech short. They stopped his speech short. He wasn't going to. They ended his life because he was boldly proclaiming the story and the work of Christ going on around them and the work of the Spirit that was happening. So what is it about Stephen that would, um, that would encourage him, that would motivate him to do this? And what is it about us that we need to learn that we could be people who do not stop a day short? The answer must be the conviction of, found in the conviction of the resurrection, that the resurrection is real. For the early church, the resurrection was not just about life after death. The resurrection was so much more. It was fuller. It was richer. N.T. Wright says that for the early church, the resurrection meant for them that the scriptures had been fulfilled, that the kingdom of God had arrived, that the new age had broken into the midst of the present age, had dawned upon a surprised and unready world, the biblical narrative had reached its climax. The biblical narrative, the whole story that Stephen unfolded for them had reached its climax in the resurrection of Christ. And that's the story, and that's what fueled Stephen on to say, I'm not going to stop a day short. And that's what can fuel us on. That's what we need to be people of the resurrection who, is, who are so fueled on by the resurrection that we will not stop a day short, that we will be willing to say, I'm going to follow Jesus all the way to the end in mission. Announcing the good news for us may not mean death, physical death literal death. Announcing the good news, we don't live in a place, we don't live in Sri Lanka, we don't live in places where we are persecuted for testifying about our faith. We're not going to face angry mobs or church bombings. But with our relative safety, perhaps we've become too comfortable as Christians and we need to put to death our own comfort. I love summer nights. I love summer nights particularly for myself or particularly for my family. And it is. It's a good time to recover from a busy fall, from a busy winter, from a season where you're often out many nights taking the kids to programs or different activities or maybe out at meetings. Lots going on, and summer is a great time to catch your breath and recover. But summer in our culture is also a great time to connect with people, other people, It's when people are out. It's when people are about. It's when things are going on. And perhaps we need to say to ourselves this summer that we need to give a time. We need to give a portion. We need to give it to God and say, what, how can I use my summer? How can I use my summer nights or my afternoons or my weekends, whatever they might be? How can I use these to advance God's kingdom? How can I be a sent person this summer? Summer is upon us and it's a relative time. It's a, 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 important time for us to be asking that question. 
We, uh, we're encouraged by the wonderful news of uh, baby Grace, as was announced this week and as Cole prayed over. I'm also inspired by, by Jamie and Chantal and just their ministry the last few years, running a summer ball hockey league in their neighborhood every Monday night for 16 weeks uh, out of next door. So Jamie and Chantel live in a condo complex next door to next door, and uh, they feel a call to their neighborhood, and so they run a ball hockey league. Every, every Monday night, they're down there bringing shalom to this ball hockey court, bringing peace to this place, organizing volunteers, organizing snacks, organizing people to come down and open up the Bible and tell stories about Jesus to the kids who come down and are part of this hockey league. Perhaps you love ball hockey. Perhaps you can come down and be part of the ball hockey league this summer. Jamie and Chantel get the year off. Uh, Ray's going to run the league this year. There might be room for more people. You can come down and be a part of that. But maybe there's something else in your neighborhood. Maybe there's a way for you to gauge in your neighborhood. It might not be a ball hockey league that's very contextual to next door in the neighborhood that's, uh, that we are a part of down there in Aldershot. But what is it in your neighborhood? How can you take time this summer to say, I'm going to minister to my neighborhood in some way? What is it? What might it be? I don't know the answer for that. You might only know the answer for that as you pray about it, as you walk your neighborhood, as you talk to your neighbors and engage with your community, understand how can I give my summer to my community, to my neighborhood, to the people around me? Maybe it's not running a program for every week over the course of the summer, like the example we just used of ball hockey. But maybe there are just specific events happening in the near future or the summer where people need help. There was an email last week, the El Shemrys. We remember the El Shemrys. Uh, for those of you who have been around a few years, they're the refugee family from Syria that we sponsored uh, to move. And we, we moved and, and planted them in an apartment in Burlington, just behind next door. Well, the Alshemrys are moving. We just learned that. But they're only moving two floors down. I think they got a bigger unit. They're a bigger family now than they were when they arrived here. So they're moving into a bigger apartment unit. And they need help. Maybe they could do it on their own. Uh, they could probably manage, but wouldn't it be nice if a few of us would show up and help the Alshemrys move, lugging their furniture down the elevator into their new apartment unit and blessing them in this way and saying, we're here as a church family. We haven't forgot you. We want to be part of your life and we want to testify to the resurrection of Jesus just by doing this simple thing of helping you move. So if you want to help the Alshemrys move, it's happened on Wednesday. You can talk to me. And I don't want that email went out. Uh, the reason you didn't see it is because it went out to the uh, to the team who were um, who were the the settlement team. Well, you don't have to be part of the settlement team to help them move on Wednesday. So there's that opportunity. And there's lots of those. Again, just be a part. Look around your workplaces and your neighborhoods and come to understand where are these places where I can serve where I can be a blessing to my community, to my neighborhood, to my neighbors and workplaces. And what if death to comfort means doing, doing activity, not just with my own family, but with some of our next door families? And this is my opportunity for a commercial. So if you look around, you're going to see that there's some uh, posters uh, that we scattered around the chairs. And there's two things going on, and they both involve bike rides because we love bikes down the next door. Rolling Horse is a, uh, is a ministry, as you saw in the video of, of, uh, of Next Door, revolving around bicycles. 
And one of the things that you'll see there, there's, there's two posters. One is beautifully, professionally done by Fort. The other was done by me. So look at that one. It's not as nice. It's a, you know, we're calling it to the lake and back. It's a bike ride. We just want to invite our families of next door and our families of Force You to easily just come together and go on a bike ride together. We love this idea of families engaging together, meeting together in a natural way, and doing things that we all love. Now, maybe you don't love bike riding, so we've made some accommodation for you. We're going to have a barbecue beforehand for everyone. Those who want to go on a bike ride, a short, easy bike ride down to the lake can do that. Those who just want to go to the park, we have a brand new playground and a water park at our local park just around the corner, and a ball hockey court, of course. You can just come down and hang out at the park. But bring your family down and engage together. And think about this also as a mission to the community as well. We would love for you to consider a donation as you come down, but we don't want you uh, to, to dig into your pocket from the money that you give to the church. We want you to think about this as a uh, digging into your recreation budget and saying, if I normally would go out with my family and take them out for ice cream or go to a movie, that money we spend, we'd love to give to next door because we have a particular need. Among our families, we hopefully some of those families that will be there, there are two boys at least, and we hope more boys or girls who, are, who we want to sponsor to go up to Joy Bible Camp this summer. So we'd love for you to say to our family, to your kids, to your family, come on down, we're going to go for a bike ride, we're going to hang out at next door, and we're going to support, help get kids up to camp this summer. As a way of saying, I'm going to give up my own stuff. I'm going to give up my own comfort and serve the mission of God because we believe we are people of resurrection. As we engage on mission, I recognize that there are tensions and that there's a need for boundaries that we need to be aware of. And so I want to say three things about that. One is, if that's a problem, perhaps we need to just create space. If there's just too much going on in life and you can't, and this just whole idea of being a sent person, being a sent community, or being a sent family feels like just one more thing to do, then perhaps you need to take a hard look at your life and say, is there a place where we need to create more space, create more margin in our lives so that we can make this a priority, that as a sent people, we can go on mission and we have space for that. That's not an easy thing to do. That's going to involve a lot of thoughtfulness, a lot of prayer, maybe some hard decisions. And that's going to be between you and your family and the Lord to, to work out. But possibly the first thing to do is to think about how do we create space and margins in our life so that we can fulfill this call that we are on as people of resurrection. The second is when it comes to families and children, if you find that uh, part of being a sent person, being going on mission is, is taking you away from your family, taking you away from your kids for the night, Ensure and make sure that your kids understand and invite them to pray with you. I heard a, a story just this week of someone who's in ministry and every morning prays over their kids as they go to school and their kids would then pray for him as he goes off and does his work in ministry. They don't really know what he does, but they just pray that God would do this thing that he's doing. Invite your kids to pray with you as you go off into ministry so that they're a part of it and they understand that this releasing mom or releasing dad off to, off to this thing that they're engaged in, that they're a part of this. They understand a bit that they can, at least something of, of the bigger picture of God's work. 
And then where it's possible, join together on mission. Invite your family to participate with you. Bring your family down together. And that's why we want to do this bike ride together. It's just such an easy way for us to come together as, as a community. Make it easy. But understand, your children and your family will understand this is mission when we're going down that great opportunity to have conversations on the way home about being a sent people. We promised you that we want to finish early, and so it's only four after 11, and I think we did that. We're getting close. We want to make sure we leave lots of time for you to, to be out of here and to, in, and to enjoy an afternoon together or lunch together down at next door. So I want to wrap up, but I want to transition us into communion. And so reminding us that as we live post-Easter, we don't forget that the resurrection was only possible through the willing death of Jesus. We're going to invite, I want to invite the ushers forward. The band is going to come up and do another song. As we have been our practice, please hold on to the bread, hold on to the juice. I will pray over it. I'll come back and I'll pray over it, and then we'll take it together. <laughs>